Faith Memorial Church was founded in 1945 as Cleveland Evangelistic Center. A lot has changed since then, but one thing hasn't. Faith Memorial Church's passion for Christ and compassion for the people of our community. Remember, you've already had an exhortation not to be in a hurry, so that means I can preach for two hours and nobody can complain. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Said a couple people. <laughs> Everybody else was like, but I didn't eat breakfast. <laughs> it's all right. We got snacks down in the children's church. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. Let's just uh, read the blueprint passage, and then we'll, um, we'll kind of do a little bit of review. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I'm going to be reading in the King James this morning. Um, I just felt like it. So Acts 2, 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and to fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Amen. All right, so when we began this series, we started off, and I'm just going to confess to you, I had a plan for how the series was going to look, and we even put a street sign in it, because I thought this series was going to be like this little journey that we were going to go on, and that we could have like exits and stuff for all the points, and yeah, God said, that's terrible, I got a better idea. <laughs> but when we started, we were going to go through the signs or the indicators of what a healthy church is. You know, because I'm interested in being healthy. I'm not interested in being a mediocre church. I'm not interested in being a church that just kind of coasts or goes through the motions. You know, I just talked about that, spent five minutes talking about that. I'm interested in being a church that's healthy. Not a roller coaster like we have some good days and then we have some bad days. Oh, we have a revival and awakening and now we have a crash and we go to the depravity and despair that we find the church in today and then oh we have another awakening and we go back down I'm not interested in that I want to know how to live up here I want to know how to live in the realm of divine health and I believe that it's possible but in order to get to the signs of a healthy church we kind of had to take a few weeks to do some groundwork and during that process God kind of switched our metaphor from a road trip to building a house and you know me, I'm just like, let's go, God, whatever you want to do. And the first thing that we had to do was we had to lay out some definitions. Our culture, definitions matter because nobody seems to know how to define simple words like woman. So we have to throw out some definitions. I mean, I'm serious. There used to be a day where you could say church and everybody knew what you was talking about. Now you can't. Because you've got universalist church and you've got, you know, this church that, that atheists have churches now. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to get off on that tangent. But the truth is, is you have to define everything. There are cults and other non-Christian groups out there that have taken Christian terms like Holy Spirit, Atonement, Jesus, and redefined them and then say, yeah, we believe the same things. We even use the same terms. And it's like, no, you don't. Mormons do this. Seventh-day Adventists do this. 
Even Roman Catholicism does this. So we need to define our terms. And so just laying out one simple term, the first week we started this, we just defined what church was. A church is a diverse yet unified assembly of believers that surrender the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's a church. That's a church. And to be healthy is to not be sick, to not be broken. That's pretty simple. And then the second week, when we were getting ready to go into the message, about 30 seconds before I walked up here, God said, I'm going to change what you're preaching today. And he took us on a journey into the fear of the Lord. Took us a journey on, took us on a journey into the fear of the Lord, which happens to be the face of Jesus Christ. And I didn't realize this. But you know, there's a way that seems right unto a man in the end there is of his death. And you know, we get in our own plans sometimes. And what happens with me and my relationship with God is I have a lot of plans. And it's like every one of them must be awful because he just interrupts every single one of them and changes them. So either I'm really bad at making plans or God just likes to wait until the last second to surprise me. I don't know which. Probably I'm bad at making plans. But as we preached that message, as we went through that, the fear of the Lord, the holiness of God back in the church, one thing I realized after the fact was, is that you can't have a healthy church unless the foundation is the fear of the Lord. After all, the Old Testament communicates over and over again that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the New Testament, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, other foundation can no man lay than that which has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the church has to be built on the foundation of the fear of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ. And then the following week came, and Saturday night, I was walking through the kitchen, and the Lord finally gave me the vision for the church, so interrupted me again. And the vision for the church... It's kind of like the covering, the roof, if you keep our metaphor going, that everything we do falls underneath. See, every church, every individual body of believers has one mission. The universal church, the global church, the invisible church, whatever you know attribute you want to qualify to all the church throughout history, the body of Christ has one mission. And it's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus says this. He gives, us, he gives us an indication. He says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever I have commanded you. And then he gives us a promise. Lo, I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the age. That is the great commission. That is the mission of every church. If any church has a mission that's other than that, they're wrong. That is the mission of the church. However, every body has a different vision that God gives them of how they can contribute to carrying out that commission. Ours personally is four words. Hello, Cleveland, meet Jesus. It's two sections. Christ, community. Christ, city. However you want to define that. Christ, city. We are going to get to know Cleveland. Cleveland's going to get to know us. And we're going to be the best blessing we can possibly be. And we're going to learn as much about Cleveland so that we can contextualize that and then figure out how best to share the gospel with Cleveland. Cleveland has a lot of religion. Cleveland has a lot of churches. But Cleveland don't have as much Jesus as it needs to have. I mean, look around. Get into a conversation. I remember a time when I came to Cleveland about 10 years ago. People seemed to be a lot nicer than they are now. 
Religion does not do good for people's manners. I'm just telling you, it doesn't. So we got those three steps. We had to lay some definition, do some groundwork. We had to lay a foundation, and then we had to establish a covering before we could get into the conversation about the signs of a healthy church. And then we got into the signs themselves. So far, we've done six of them. The first sign is a devotion to the Word of God. This is the walls of the house being put up. That's not just learning the Word. That's not just doing the Word, but it's learning, living, and loving the Word. Then we did the the family room, the living room. That's intentional fellowship. And look, the thing is, we've all talked about fellowship. People put small group pictures of people having coffee together and laughing, and it's completely fake because they're acting and posing. And when most people go to a small group, that's exactly what they're doing, acting and posing. And we could throw a picture up on the board and say, hey, this is a small group, do this. And you go in a room, and it doesn't make people that hate each other suddenly like each other. It doesn't. The way that you get true fellowship is to focus on the intentionality portion. And when I say intentionality, I mean that everybody contributes to the body. See, in our church, not our church specifically, but in churches, and in America church specifically, we like to have one or two people or a few people utilize their gifting and everybody else just spectate. That never creates fellowship. The way to create fellowship is every single person utilize their gift. And if I use my gift and you use your gift, then it edifies, joins the body together, and it makes increase of itself in love. That's how you get fellowship, is by you using your gift and me using my gift. Amen? And we move from there into the overall aesthetic of the house, and basically we're talking about culture, the culture of generosity. So the first sign is devotion to the Word of God. The second sign is intentional fellowship. The third sign is culture of generosity. Culture just means who you are or what you are without trying. Generosity, you guys know, it's being giving, charitable. Understanding that everything that you have actually belongs to the Lord, so you do what He says with it, not what you want. And sometimes what He says is the exact opposite of what you want. Culture of generosity. Next is posture of worship. And these don't have to be in any particular order. This is just the order that they've been put on my heart as we've done the series. Posture of worship. We're talking about a preoccupation or a fascination with God. Who He is. Then we got into the practicing the spiritual disciplines, which is the kitchen, versus the spirit of religion, which is curb appeal. Told you the funny story about, you know, the people that spent all the money on the sod and made the front look real nice but they had this big pile of garbage over here and the inside was a disaster and they said well we're just trying to get some people interested in the house it's like interested in the house (laughs) the house is a disaster but you got nice sod laying out here that's the spirit of religion wants you to think everything looks okay and is okay it wants you to come in and sing three or four songs take up an offering preach a pretty message and go home unchanged that's religion that's the That's the enemy of true heart transformation. That's going up to the apple tree and taping apples on it even though the roots are dead. That's Opie trying to fix Aunt B's flower by taping it back together. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. The flower's still going to die. Aunt B's still going to lose the competition. (laughs) It's terrible. But that's what religion does. And then last week we talked about unceasing prayer. And we're changing our conversation 
from the Old Testament and the Roman Catholic categories of sacred and secular. We segregate our time thinking that we set aside an hour of prayer or two hours of prayer or a time of worship. But that's not New Testament Christianity. New Testament Christianity is, go ahead, have your times of worship, your times of prayer. But in addition to that, invite the Spirit of the living God to participate in every area of your life. Engage in an ongoing, continual conversation with God. Let your life become prayer. Let your life become worship. Because if you just set aside a time, you're not taking advantage of what has been accomplished for you in the atonement of Christ. You're not operating as though the Spirit of God lives inside you. Does that make sense? Six signs of a healthy church. Devotion to the Word of God. Intentional fellowship. Culture of generosity. Posture of worship. Practicing the spiritual disciplines. If you want to know what the spiritual disciplines are, there's a handout out in the foyer. And then unceasing prayer. That's, that's the six that we've got up to this point. Today we're going to go for the seventh. Now, before we get into that, I'm just going to tell you what the seventh sign is, and then we're just going to preach, and I don't know where we're going to end up. Are we good? You guys in a hurry? <laughs> the seventh sign is signs following. And you should say amen at that. You should say amen at that. This isn't a social club, okay? This isn't a social club. You can find a lot better friends than me to hang out with, Okay? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a social club. This is a church. There's a lot of better people that are better teachers than me. A lot of people that are better preachers than me. I would never say that anyone's a better singer or musician than my wife, but in the church at large, you can find better musicians than most churches have. You can. I've been to church where they have terrible worship. I mean, some people can't carry a tune in a bucket. But when the Spirit of God shows up, it don't matter. <laughs> Everybody's singing off key and not one person is singing together. And this person's in G and this person's in C and this person don't even know what a key is. <laughs> and it sounds awful. But man, the Spirit of God shows up and everybody has a great time. I'm interested in being a part of a church that has signs following. When I say signs, I'm talking about two things. Really, they're all just one, but I'm going to break it down to kind of give some emphasis. Signs following means the church has miracles. Church has miracles. And most of the time when we're talking about miracles, we think about healing the sick, delivering the captives, or removing addiction. We talk about raising the dead. We talk about cleansing the leper. We're talking about all of those wonderful things that God shows up and people are visibly changed. But another miracle that we don't always classify as miraculous, but it's really the most miraculous, is when somebody gets born again. When somebody becomes a Christian, and they're taken from being dead in sin to being new, alive in Christ, that is the biggest miracle that the church can possibly see, and we treat that like commonplace, because it's not a miracle that our eye can perceive. And that sucks. Because those miracles are more important than when somebody gets healed. Because see, I break my leg, you pray for it, it gets healed. There's the possibility I break my leg again. And eventually this body will die and rot. 
but somebody becomes new in Christ Jesus and they enter into the palm of his hand, nobody can pull them out. And that never ends. That never dies. Signs following. I'm talking about miracles. Miracles that you see, healing, deliverance, resurrection, power, and people being born again and transformed by the power of Jesus. That's what a healthy church has. Let's read. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. See, I chose this passage because it immediately follows our blueprint passage. So this is the church in action. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Isn't that an awesome story? This is one of my favorite sections in Scripture. It always stays one of my favorite sections. It's, it's always one of my favorite. And part of the reason it's my favorite is because when I first became a Christian and realized I was called to the ministry, my original dream, and it's still my dream, was to pastor a church that was called, its name was a church called Beautiful. And it stayed open 24-7. Seven days a week, 365. And it always had prayer, worship going on. I, that was before I knew IHOP, about IHOP, or any of that stuff. This was just what God put in my heart. And it will happen one day. One day. Because a church called Beautiful, a gate called Beautiful, Beautiful wasn't the actual gate's name. Just throwing that in there. Now Peter and John went up together. Can we just preach for a moment? Can we just preach for a moment? Let's just see, let's just see where we go. Now. Very first word, three letters. I heard this one time when I first got started preaching, and it's always stuck with me, and it's simply this. If it's not now, then it's not faith. If it's not now, then it's not faith. See, in our culture and the way that we preach, we've gotten into this thing where we pray and we say, maybe tomorrow. It's like Moses coming to Pharaoh to, to remove the frogs, and Moses says, when do you want them to go? And Pharaoh says, tomorrow. It's like, What? Why not now? He didn't have faith for now. He had faith for something off in the future because that gives natural time, oper to, time to operate. That gives circumstances time to occur. That, that kind of levies out some of God's power and kind of takes God off the hook, doesn't it? It's what we do. It's like we pray for somebody to be healed and we don't see it happen, so we say, well, God heal them tomorrow. Or Lord, in the next three weeks, take this off of them. Lord, let this be removed gradually. Lord, let the doctors have wisdom to take care of this. Come on, I've done it too. I've done it too. And if you haven't, you're just, you've just got more faith than I do. If it's not now, it's not faith. 
And look, we like to give ourselves every excuse in the book. We do. We like to say, well, it wasn't really about faith. It must have just been the discrepancy of God or the sovereignty of God or, you know, maybe it just wasn't the right moment. And, you know, a lot of preachers that make me sick, they'll say, well, it's not my faith. The person I'm praying for didn't have enough faith. I'm going to tell you something. Talk about pet peeves. That is one of my biggest ones. Don't you ever lay hands on somebody and pray for them to be healed and they don't get healed and then blame them. I had a preacher one time say to me that when we lost our daughter, it was our fault. It's like, <laughs> you're lucky I'm sanctified because <laughs> you don't know, we from the south side of the kingdom. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Uh, listen, 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 this is, this is completely, completely off, off the record. But <laughs> no, it's not. It's live stream. Who cares? <laughs> There's this show, Impractical Jokers. Anybody, everybody watch that? I love that show. I love it. It's hilarious. But you know what's funny is a lot of times they're like in New York City or something like that. And, and I always say, you know, that's a great idea for a show. But I bet they couldn't come to the South and do that. I, you, you ain't going to come to Atlanta and do that. <laughs> you ain't going to go to downtown Chattanooga and do that. Not for very long. You might meet a couple people that have hospitality. It's like, yeah, but somebody's going to end up pulling a gun on you or somebody's going to, you know, jack your jaws or something. I mean, you just, in the South, you just don't do that. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you, learn your, you learn your boundaries. But anyway, I don't know why. But moving on, moving on. But seriously, in the church, we have tried to take God off the hook and take ourselves off the hook and just blame it on everything else. And the truth is, is we really just don't have as much faith as we claim to have. We just don't. We just don't believe God anymore. Sure, we believe in God. We believe that He's there. But we have gotten so materialistic in our worldview and the way that we live our life and so dependent on our technology and our creature comforts and so focused on what's happening in the here and now that we have completely demystified the Bible, taken the miracles out of it, just like Thomas Jefferson did, and we think that that's the way it's supposed to read. And even if we don't believe that, that's the way we operate. I mean, how many times, be honest, be honest, how many times you prayed for somebody prayed for their healing, and in the back of your mind said, this isn't going to happen. I've done it. I, I mean, I've done it. I've prayed for somebody, and I'm like, God, heal them. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, probably not. I've prayed for somebody, and it's like, they're probably going to die of this. And that sucks to feel that way. But that's an issue with my faith. And so when I pray for somebody and they don't get healed, I don't ever say that it's their faith. I immediately say, God, what's wrong with me? You know, that's actually the reason I'm in the church of God. I'm serious. Let me tell you a side story, a little bit of personal history here. I don't usually talk about myself, but I'm going to today. One night, Faith woke up in the middle of the night screaming in pain. Like 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. Woke up screaming in pain. And she don't do that. She's got a high pain tolerance. I'll give her a little bit of props. She does. But she woke up screaming in pain. Blood-curdling scream. I thought she was being murdered. Finally, I get my wherewithal, and I start praying. Guess what? I pray, nothing happens. She's still screaming in pain. I pray, nothing happens. She's praying with me, nothing happens. So we're praying two or more. We're praying in agreement, nothing happens. 
I pray six or seven times. I go get the anointing oil. I quote scripture. I anoint her with oil. I was an elder in the church. I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm praying. Nothing happened. I prayed 13, 14 times for the, over the course of like 30 minutes and nothing happens. You know, finally, I don't know how long it took. Finally, the pain subsides enough to where she can go back to sleep. I can't. I was mad. I mean, just outright furious. And so I go take a shower. And uh, in the shower, I'm like, God, let's have a conversation. Because this book says some things. This book says some things. And I'm either taking it all or I'm taking none of it. I don't want this half portion nonsense. I want 100 or I want zero. This book says some things. And I believe this book is perfect. I believe this is the very word of God. I believe that it's inspired. I believe that I can prove that it's inspired by God. So if the problem is not with this book, then the problem must be with me. So God, let's talk. What's wrong with me? And I'm going to tell you, if you ever ask God what's wrong with you, you better get a pen and paper ready because he will give you a list. I stopped remembering what he said after eight or nine. After point number eight or nine, I stopped remembering Get you a pencil and paper. Sit down at a table. Pour a cup of coffee. Ask God what's wrong with you. See what happens. Make sure you listen, though. Put your narcissism and your self-centeredness aside and listen. And second, point number two on the list was you don't submit to anyone. And I'm like, wait a second, Lord. Before we move on to point number three, I thought this was a good thing. You're my pastor. You're my shepherd. I don't listen to man because they're flawed and everybody does it wrong. I sounded arrogant. <laughs> but this was my argument with God. I'm being real. This is my argument with God. God, what's going on? Because everybody does it wrong. I don't want to submit to myself to someone that isn't perfect. If I can submit to you and you're perfect, why would I submit to anybody else? And then the Lord kind of let me in on a little piece of advice. And it's this, if the people you submit to doesn't ever do anything you disagree with or you dis don't understand, you're not really submitting. You just happen to be walking in the same direction. Submission requires you to not understand everything. Submission requires you to not necessarily agree with everything. Submission requires a little bit of contention because if there's not, there's no exercise in submission or humility on your part. Listen, I say Jesus is Lord in this house. Everybody here believes Jesus is Lord. That's not you submitting to my leadership over this house. It's not. You just agree Jesus is Lord, so we're in the same place saying the same thing. But if I say, hey, guess what? We're going to start a, we're going to switch Sunday morning service to Saturday night. I'm not saying we're doing that. I'm just saying hypothetically. Calm down. <laughs> But if I said that, you may not like it, you may not agree to it, but submission would have you showing up on Saturday night. I ain't going to do that because a lot of us can't show up on Wednesday night. <laughs> anyway, anyway, let's keep going, let's keep going. Woo! Man, I wish that I could 
go less than a whole week without seeing you guys, but if only there was like some place during the middle of the week to where we could get together. I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> so what's up, <laughs> Oh, Lord Jesus. All right, let's keep going. If it's not now, it's not faith. If it's not now, it's not faith. We've got that. Look, there's a lot of reasons why a miracle may not happen. One of them is the person praying doesn't have faith. One of them is the person being prayed for doesn't have faith. One of them is the people around in the place doesn't have faith. It's an atmosphere of unbelief. Another is the discrepancy of God. Any one of those things may factor in. But stop trying to blame everything on one of those and just believe. Just believe. And if it doesn't happen, don't worry about it. Just believe the next time. Quit over-theologizing. Quit, yeah. Quit thinking about it, overthinking about it, and just do it. Just believe. If it don't happen, say, God, I don't know why it didn't happen, but I'm going to believe next time. Help my unbelief. I'm going to believe next time. Help my unbelief. I'm going to believe next time. Just believe. All right. Peter and John, we're going up together. Look, there's unity. Man, it's great when people dwell together in unity. If only the scripture had something to say about that. Like maybe how beautiful it is for brethren, brothers and sisters, body of Christ, to dwell together in unity. It would be like the anointing oil that's poured out on the head. Even Aaron's head flows down to his beard and down to the hems of his garment. And everybody gets blessed because there's unity. They're going up together into the temple. They're ascending. There's an ascension. That's the thing. This is an Old Testament mindset. Being This is a transition period, and we're going to talk about that. But they're going up to the temple at the time of prayer. There's an ascension. See, you don't have to wait till a time of prayer. You can ascend in the divine presence and partake with God's divine nature at any moment in time, every moment in time. It's available to you. We just don't take very good advantage of that. Being the ninth hour. I love Luke. I mean, our boy Luke that wrote Acts is so detail-oriented that he wrote down what time it was. The ninth hour, 3 p.m. This is the third time of prayer. In Jewish tradition, there were three times of prayer. There was prayer at the third hour, which the day starts at 6 a.m. Prayer at the third hour would be 9 a.m. There was prayer at the sixth hour, which would be noon. And then there was prayer at the ninth hour, which would be 3 p.m. And the rabbis had created this tradition I don't know if they created it or if it's like traceable, but they had this tradition that each hour of prayer was attributed to one of the patriarchs of the Old Testament, right? Abraham was the morning prayer. Isaac was the noon or midday prayer. And Jacob was the afternoon or evening prayer. Each one was attributed. And Luke says that they were going up at the ninth hour, which would be the hour attributed to Jacob. Now, you're going to have to pay attention because we're going to talk about some stuff right here. We're going to get into a little bit of um, prophetic interpretation of the scripture. Abraham was told that he was going to have a kid by Sarah. And he believed God for that promise. And it was attributed to him as righteousness. God established a covenant with Abraham. Abraham set up some sacrifices chase the birds away all of a sudden God shows up and he causes darkness to come over and he puts Abraham to sleep 
and God establishes the covenant his own self. Then Isaac comes along, which is the physical manifestation of that spiritual covenant. He is the fruit of the covenant. And his son, Jacob, is a jerk. Come on, re- read the Bible. Jacob's a jerk. And his name is Trickster, Supplanter, Abs the Heel. He's a jerk. He gets not one, but two over on Esau. And then tries to do it again. <laughs> but Esau at that point was like, no, nah, I've got plenty. I'm, not, I'm just happy to have you back. <laughs> but Jacob has an experience with God. When God shows up, they get into a wrestling match. And what ends up happening to Jacob? People say he gets the angel of the Lord in a headlock. He's like, I won't let you go to your blessing. That is not what happened. Read the context. That angel has whooped him and is walking away. And Jacob's like grabbing onto his leg like, no, don't leave until you bless me. That's what happened. At least that's my opinion. And so the angel touches the hollow of Jacob's thigh. Lame, physically lame for the rest of his life. Has to lean on a tree a rod, a staff, whatever you want to call it, and gets a name change. His name goes from trickster to prince of God. He goes from being a natural jerk to being spiritual royalty. Right? Now, this is important. Because here at the ninth hour, there's something else that occurs in the New Testament at the ninth hour. Anybody know what it is? It's when a certain man who also happened to be God, was hanging on a tree, and he said this, Eloi, Eloi, Sambachtani, meaning, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, Jesus at the ninth hour was forsaken in prayer so that you never would be. Jesus was forsaken in prayer at the ninth hour so that you would never be forsaken in prayer at any hour. That's good. Come on, I mean, that's, that's good. But it gets even better than that because, see, what happened is at the sixth hour, Jesus was on that cross, and guess what happened? Darkness came on the earth. And it lasted for three hours from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. See, what you have happen is, remember when God established the covenant with Abraham? What did he do? He came down and he put darkness on the earth, and Abraham went to sleep. Jesus had darkness on the earth and he died. Sleep can be a metaphorical or a pictural representation of death. So God, darkness, sleep with Abraham. Isaac, fruit of that promise. Jesus, darkness, sleep. We are the fruit of that promise. And we get the transformation from being natural jerks. Because without Jesus, we're all jerks and to being spiritual royalty. And all this happens at the ninth hour. The ninth hour becomes an invitation to participate in the divine. Before I became a Christian, I watched this movie, terrible movie, do not watch it, it's awful. But it's called The Ninth Gate. The Ninth Gate, it stars Johnny Depp, and it's about books. So I was like, how can you go wrong with this movie? Johnny Depp and books. And the whole point of the movie is you get these four books, they create the ninth gate, it opens the door for for Satan to be manifest in your life. And he wants to do this. It's like, okay, weirdo. 
whatever. That's the ninth gate. I watched it before I was a Christian, don't judge me. That's the ninth gate. But see, that's fake. But in reality, we have the ninth hour. And the ninth hour opens the door for God to become manifest in your life. In the fullness of His presence. And in case you didn't get the picture, we have the opportunity because of the ninth hour to have the physical manifestation of our spiritual covenant operate in our life. We have the opportunity to be transformed from natural tricksters or jerks into spiritual royalty. All of this takes place because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He becomes the very foundation for our life and ministry. All this is important and it is contributing to the, to the point, to the series. So I'm not going off on a tangent i don't think now let's see this is the foundation but now we're going we're going to talk about how it applies because you have a lame man a man that was lame from his mother's womb you know this this actually breaks my heart when i think about it that this man was lame from birth there are people that have never known what it's like to be healthy. I mean, kids that have cancer from like day one, leukemia and things like that, and you see those really sad commercials that just like are gut-wrenching for St. Jude's and different things, and it's like, I, I can't even stomach those. They just make you nauseous from just seeing the sheer agony. And these kids are happy. And it's like, what? Because they found what true life means rather than, but we're not going to talk about that. But the point is, is there are some people out there that never know what it's like to be healthy. But there are some people that their sickness has been going on or their addiction or their struggle has been going on for so long that instead of it being the defining characteristic for a season, it's become the defining characteristic for their whole life. Some people have been dealing with something for so long that they never don't even remember what it was like to not be dealing with it. And it doesn't have to be a sickness. I mean, it can be brokenness. It can be an addiction or a bondage. It can be a financial struggle. It can just be social struggles or family issues or whatever. I mean, there's a plethora of things that it can be. It can be the overwhelming spiritual attack. It can be depression. It can be in your mind. It can be in your heart. It can be in your body or in your surroundings. There are so many things that it can be. But some of us have been walking through situations for so long that we don't even remember what it was like to not be dealing with that hell. And that, that really just stinks. Because there's so much more available. And here's what sucks really bad. Is he was carried every day and laid outside the temple. Every day and laid outside the temple. And not a single Pharisee or a Sadducee or a scribe or a Levite or just a church attender ever did anything to actually help him. Oh, sure, they gave him money, coping mechanisms. That's what we do. Help people cope. Because we're missing the power. We help people cope. And what, what frustrates me so bad when I was reading this passage, 
this morning. What frustrates me so bad about this is the man wasn't asking for anything but money. Sandy, how many phone calls do you get a week for people asking for help with electricity or utility bills or asking about the food pantry? A lot? How many times do you get somebody calling you asking you to pray that they could be healed? None? What about delivered? What about seeing a devil removed from their life? What about seeing a broken arm mended because they don't want to wear the cast anymore? Society has gotten to where they're just like this man and they only want the money from the church because they think that's all the church has. In a lot of cases, they're right. I always reminded of this. Thomas Aquinas was having a conversation with the Pope at the time and the Pope said, looking at all the wonderful buildings, he said, Thomas, St. Thomas, angelic doctor, I don't know how he addressed him, he said, the church can no longer say silver and gold have I none. And St. Thomas said, yeah, and the church can no longer say rise up and walk either. We got money, but we got no might. We got dollars, but we got no dunamis. We got pennies, but we got no power. (laughs) People don't think the church can do anything but give them a couple dollars. And that stinks. And we don't give them any reason to believe anything different. I mean, I'm not saying that everybody exclusively. I'm just saying in large part, we don't. We get together, we we give our tithes, we have a good service, we sing some songs that we like, and we go out, and we just have a merry old time. And it's like, why would they ask for anything other than money? Because we don't have anything other than money. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. I have this. I can give it to you because I got it. And it's like, we can't give it because we ain't got it. We ain't operating in it. And I'm just like, where's the disconnect? You know, you know what I mean? Have you ever asked yourself this? Have you ever just held up the book of Acts and said, God, I'm reading this, and I'm trying, but instead of prophesying, I'm prophesying. Listen, I, I, I think back to John Wimber. John Wimber, he said, you know, when I first started going to church, I had this idea that the church was a meeting ground, that we would get here and we'd kind of divvy up the city. You know, you guys, you're going to go to Okoy. You guys, you're going to go, you know, over to Lee. You guys are going to go to Cleveland State. You guys are going to go, you know, down to South Cleveland around Walmart. You guys are going to go up, you know, out 60 to the edge of Cleveland, Georgetown area. And we're just going to, we're just going to go and we're going to take over the kingdom of Satan. And he said, and then we're going to come back and tell stories about how it happened, what happened. And he said, and then I showed up, but that didn't happen. He's like, okay. And he showed up, showed up, and after a few weeks, he said, I just went and I asked somebody, I said, okay, when are we going to when are we gonna do the stuff? And he's like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, when are we going to do the stuff? And he said, no, this is, this is it. You know, this is, this is what we do in church. You know, we come, we, you know, announcements, sing songs, preach, take up an offering, preach a message, you know, go have lunch. Like, this is what we do. He's like, what? He's like, why can't, why can't we do this stuff? And here's, here's the condemning factor. Here's the indictment. The devil lets you do his stuff. 
The devil will let you do his stuff. Go out into the kingdom of Satan. He'll let you do whatever you want. No matter who it hurts or affects, and even if it kills you, he'll let you do it. But in the church, we ain't letting nobody or teaching nobody or encouraging nobody to do the stuff. It's mainly because we don't know how to do it either. It's frustrating to me. And I know this is a soapbox of mine, but I'm like, I am sick of playing games. I want to see it happen. And I thank God that we've had some miracles happen. Since I've been, I've been pastoring here now for eight months, we've seen over 10 healings. Praise God for that. We've seen over 10 people healed, like verifiably healed. That's awesome. We have. We've had prophetic words that have come to pass, and we've had, you know, we've baptized three people, and we've had, I don't know, I don't keep track, but we've had seven or eight people begin a new life in Jesus Christ. That's awesome. That is awesome. But I want more. I want more. I don't want that to become the exception. I want that to become the norm. I want somebody to show up to church and somebody like, oh my goodness, I, I, I just got healed. And everybody be like, yeah, of course, what you think was going to happen? Like, this is the presence of God. You came in, of course you're going to get healed. Like, I want that to be the expected, the mundane aspect of church. I want people to be coming in and praying and getting saved daily and us to be excited about it, sure, but it to be expected, not for it to be the occasion. A man went to Charles Spurgeon and he said, he said, Charles, I don't know if he called him Charles, probably not, he said, probably said Dr. Spurgeon. Dr. Spurgeon, he said, I'm not seeing people get saved in my church. What, what am I doing wrong? And Spurgeon asked him, he says, well, you don't expect somebody to get saved every Sunday, do you? And the man says, well, no, of course not. And Spurgeon said, that's your problem. That's your problem. You know, for a long time when we were in Mississippi, in that year time that we were in Mississippi, well, we were there for two years, but in the year that the church was going before the stupid stuff happened, literally I prayed every week. And this isn't about me because I stopped praying it. And so that's an indictment against myself. I don't ever brag on myself unless I throw an indictment or a condemning factor in there somewhere. But I prayed every single week. I would literally get down on my knees like this right here, and I would say, God, do not let me go one Sunday without seeing somebody delivered from the clutches of hell. And it all started because of this. I had a conversation with a young girl. Young girl. She was in her early 20s. And I talked to her. And throughout the conversation, I got her to admit that she believed in God. She admitted that she seen that Jesus Christ was the Lord. Her mother had gotten saved and delivered from alcohol and set free and baptized. And she admitted that in the life of her mother. She admitted it in the life of her brother. She's seen it in all of these different situations and knew and recognized the power of God. And I said, are you ready? Will you surrender? Not today. That night I went to bed and I had a dream, one of the most horrific dreams I've ever had, and I watched her burn in hell. I watched the flesh melt from her body and her screaming in agony. And ever since I watched and I had that dream, now when somebody walks away from the gospel or somebody will not say the prayer or let God transform their life, it always, always, I see that picture in my mind. 
Because we're not playing with whether or not somebody will become a good churchgoer. We're talking about someone's eternal damnation. And that is always, always, always a factor. And we treat it like it's cavalier. Like, it's okay. You don't have to do it today. You don't have to talk today. Like, maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week. We'll see, we'll see you next Sunday. It's like, we've turned it into a game. I didn't bring it. I forgot it in my truck. But I had a PlayStation controller. I was going to bring a PlayStation controller and a hammer. And I was going to say, we can either play games or we can build a healthy church. The choice is ours. But the controller's broken anyway. It don't work. Because games don't work. They don't accomplish anything. And it's not here, so obviously that's not even an option, church. I didn't even bring that as an option. You don't get the option to play games. All right, we need to wrap this up, or move on at least. So Peter lifted him up, lifted him up. And I was, wasn't going to do this, but God won't leave me alone about it, so you guys are just going to excuse me for just a moment. See, right here it says this. It says, he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. My ankle has been torqued for forever, so I'm going to do something in faith, and if I trip and die back there, faith can finish preaching. Alive. It's not broken. Huh. Hmm. Listen, you may think, it may come to your mind, that's just like a little petty demonstration, but the point is, is we need to get some more demonstration in the church. Many people will actually be able to will saying, I'm going to demonstrate that I have faith. And if it blows up in my face, so what? Because I care more about their eternal salvation than I care about my temporary appearance. I'm going to end this in just a second, and I'm going to invite anyone that wants prayer for healing to come up, and we're going to pray for healing, because I believe the Spirit of the Lord is in this place and ready to heal people. But before we do that, I'm going to bring this back to the healthy church, okay? Healthy church. Do you know why the gate was called beautiful? This wasn't its actual name. The gate's called beautiful. Do you want to know why? The gate is made out of copper. It was made out of copper. Copper is a substance that represents humanity. Follow it through scripture. In the temple, the wilderness tabernacle, all the vessels in the outer court were made of bronze. The bronze laver, the bronze altar, the bronze instruments. All the instruments and the vessels in the outer court were made of bronze because that represents humanity. And then when you went in to the Holy of Holies, it's made out of gold because that represents divinity. The gate called beautiful was called beautiful because it, though it was made out of bronze, when the sunlight hit it, everyone that looked on it thought it was made of solid gold. And it was called beautiful. The church is an assembly of humanity. We're humans getting together and having a service. We're assembling together. But when the light of Christ, the sun, hits us, everybody out there should see divinity. And that is a church called beautiful. Amen? That's a healthy church. That's a beautiful church. Is when they look at you and they can't see the humanity anymore because the divinity is so prevalent. 
That's what I want, church. Amen? All right. You guys can kill the live stream. We're going to pray for people to be healed.